Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on getting you to Japan for your first visit or to make your next adventure to Japan an even better one. Today's special episode is with Robert Jefferson, also known as the Kamakura Gardener, who is brought to my attention by fellow guest of the show, Maurice, while talking to him about his project, Ganbate. Robert's life, the example he leads, his positive messages throughout his videos of accepting when things don't go right and focusing in on the things that are, in his year-round projects, as well as his engagement in his community of Kamakura, offers listeners not only some truly wonderful experiences, but also some very unique knowledge when it comes to living in Japan. This is your Director of Travel for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with positive thoughts and excitement for your next journey to Japan and his own return this summer. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope that this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we can all use a beacon like this in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you again for your time and returning once more. For today's show, let me introduce our special guest, whose YouTube channel is really just the tip of an iceberg when it comes to his time in Japan. It is truly amazing how one contact from an interview can lead up to getting the chance to talk to another amazing person. I truly feel fortunate to have Robert join us today, and I can't wait to begin our interview. Welcome, Robert. Good day from Kamakura, Japan, on this beautiful summer day. It's 28 degrees and it's getting humid already. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time for our listeners by joining us on today's episode to talk about your time in Japan and share a bit about yourself. Um, before we get going too far, though, with today's episode, where can listeners go to ask questions about your gardening? Uh, living in Japan, and just find your YouTube channel. Uh, on YouTube, I'm known as the Kamakura Gardener. Yeah, I, I can be seen on Patreon. I do have uh, Patreon patrons. Um, I'm in the process of setting up a Locals channel. Are you familiar with Locals? I'm not. Yeah, it's, it's a new platform um, that doesn't censor as much as YouTube and the other platforms do. Um, I'm on Telegram and Rumble and Odyssey and Bright Eon. Some people say Bright Eon, but it's actually Bright Eon. Uh, that's another platform. So brighteon.com, odyssey.com, and patreon.com, rumble.com, and telegram.t.me. That's where I'm at. Outstanding. I have a few of those links that, I'm gonna, that are in the show notes already. And I'll make sure to have them. I took them off the uh, YouTube channel. So I'll have links for that as well as uh, your Patreon. 
Um, I do thank you again, like I said, for making time today. I want to just give you a chance before we start getting into Japan too much for you to just introduce yourself. I am a uh, newly minted <laughs> 63-year-old uh, American, originally from uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, Montgomery County, a little town called Penlyn, P-E-N-L-L-Y-N. Uh, it's about 35 minutes north of uh, Philadelphia. And... Um, well, I've been here in Japan. Let me let me start now and go backwards. I've been in Japan for uh, coming up on uh, next January will be 42 years. I've been here for about 41 and a half years. Um, I currently work for Japan's public broadcaster, NHK. I am an announcer and uh, a news writer uh, for their newsline, uh, their global uh, television service um, newsline on NHK World TV. Um, prior to that, and simultaneously, I was with the Tokyo Broadcasting System, Channel 6 here in Tokyo, as uh, doing the same work, uh, basically uh, announcing and news writing. And uh, let's see, what else have I done here? Well, for 13 years until the fall of 2020, I was a adjunct professor at Temple University, Japan. Uh, I began teaching media management and then news writing. And then at the, toward the, the end of my 13 year career there, I was teaching journalism history and journalism ethics. And I'll tell you with journalism ethics, <laughs> I had no shortage of material to teach. Prior to that, I was in the United States for about five and a half years. I moved back to the States when I was uh, 40 years old in 2000, just in time for 9-11. <laughs> that was uh, quite a trip. Uh, yeah, I moved back to the States uh, in 2000 and went to work for WHYY, an NPR and PBS affiliate in Philadelphia, my hometown. And then I moved out to the West Coast. I went into media management. Uh, working for a small community radio station in Portland, Oregon. And then I moved on to uh, another community radio station at Bellevue Community College, uh, their uh, radio station, uh, KBCS. Uh, in Portland, it was uh, KBOO uh, Community Radio in Seattle, in Bellevue, Washington, just across the, the pond, the lake from uh, Seattle. I worked at uh, the Bellevue Community College, uh, KBCS, as a... Uh, uh, program director and assistant general manager. Now, prior to that, um, the, I've done a lot in my career. I've worked for nearly 30 broadcast uh, outlets, um, but I'll keep it uh, rather succinct. Prior to that, I was uh, with uh, Bloomberg Television here in Tokyo as a newscaster, uh, doing business news and world news, uh, many different things. Uh, before that, well, let me go way back, and then I'll come back up to uh, to Bloomberg. I started in in broadcasting. Um, I, I took an interest in broadcasting when I was uh, in high school, fourteen years old, uh, ninth grade at Wissahickon Senior High School in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and I took a production course in high school. We had a full on, full color, capable uh, television studio in high school, and I used to read the student announcements every morning during homeroom. And when I was 16 years old, I went to work 
as a production assistant at a radio station. Uh, it was both AM and FM, WDAS AM and FM in Philadelphia, where I learned uh, news production. And uh, I was a, 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 a production assistant on a talk show, two talk shows, actually. Uh, one was The Breakfast Show every Sunday morning, and then an afternoon program, uh, Insight Inner City. And, and I went to, after graduating from high school, I enrolled at Temple University in Philadelphia and planning to, you know, get my undergraduate degree and, and maybe, you know, advanced degrees. But I had a friend of mine, uh, his name was Tony DeLego, uh, who was thinking about joining the Air Force. And he wanted me to uh, sit down with his uh, recruiter, his Air Force recruiter, uh, just to sort of hold his hand, if you will, <laughs> while he talked to the recruiter uh, about joining the Air Force. And so the recruiter looked at me and says, well, what are you planning? I said, well, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm, I've just enrolled at the university. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to become a broadcaster. I, you know, my my dream at the time was to be a war correspondent. Uh, we had just um, come out of the Vietnam America's War on Vietnam, and uh, and I was a, a news buff by then, so I thought I'd I'd try my hand at war reporting. But there was no wars, <laughs> so I thought uh, after listening to the um, uh, the recruiter, he said to me, "Well, don't you realize that the United States?" Uh, the Department of Defense has the largest uh, broadcast network in the world. And I said, get out of here. He said, no, really. And he's, he came back a few weeks later with some material uh, to, to show me. Um, and it, it detailed uh, the American Forces Radio and Television Service, AFRTS. And, and I was just fascinated. And I said, well, you know, you really have radio and television stations all around the world? He says, yeah. And I was hooked. <laughs> so I <laughs> Temple University after just one semester and enrolled in the United States Air Force. I uh, went to basic training and in, in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And, um, and then I went into tech school uh, where we learned our trade. And my, of course, my trade was broadcasting. So I was um, enrolled in the Defense Information School of Journalism and Public Affairs. And uh, that was, oh, I forget how many weeks it was. It was a very uh, compact, uh, um, what's, what's the phrase? Um, um, uh, it was compressed. Uh, what would normally take two or three or four years was compressed in just a few short weeks with continuing education once you went to uh, your uh, assignment. Um, and the AFRTS, the American Forces Radio and Television Service, is not broadcast in the United States. It's only broadcast overseas. Um, so I continued my education, my, my broadcast and journalism education at my assignment, which was, uh, I was flying on my 19th birthday, June 19th, 1979, I was flying to, to Turkey. I, had, I was assigned, my first assignment was overseas in Turkey. And so I was flying first to uh, Rome, and then to Athens, and then to Adana, Turkey, uh, where Injilik Air Base, uh, Joint Air Base, uh, Turkish forces and American forces at Injilik Air Base in southern Turkey. And back then, um, Pan Am was still flying, TWA was still flying. Uh, you could actually smoke on the airplane. <laughs> People actually dressed up to, <laughs> to get on the airplane. They didn't wear hoodies and shorts and flip-flops as they do today. <laughs> The food was pretty good. 
Yeah, it was quite exciting. Here I was, uh, 18 years old, uh, I'm sorry, 19 years old, and flying to, to Europe and then to the Middle East. Um, so I, I, my second assignment um, was, um, well, let me stop. <laughs> so much here. Um, so I was in Turkey for 15 months. Um, that's how long the tour of duty was there. And I was reporting on what was going on then. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan was elected president. Um, Jimmy Carter was defeated. Jimmy Carter was my first commander in chief. And then it was uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, the assassination of Egyptian President Anwar Sadat, I reported on that, uh, from Turkey, of course. Um, what else was going on? Oh, a lot of things. Um, I left Turkey uh, a week before a military coup d'etat, and I was heading to Lodges Field, the Azores, Portugal. And the Portuguese say Azores. The Azores is an archipelago of islands about a thousand miles off the coast of, of Portugal. And that was another 15-month assignment. And again, reporting on, um, well, uh, what, I, what we did um, as broadcasters was basically mimic what you would see uh, back in the United States. Uh, at that, that time, um, satellite television, uh, cable television was in its infancy. CNN was called the Chicken Noodle Network. <laughs> and so um, we had to replicate local news, what you would see on your local news TV stations, plus the network news. Um, and at that time, you know, ABC, CBS, and NBC. So we would replicate what people would normally see, what the soldiers and airmen and Marines and whoever, and their families would see back in the States. We replicated that on base. Um, sometimes it was broadcast on cable uh, through the, the base cable system, and other times it was actually broadcast over the air. In Portugal, in, in Turkey, it was broadcast on cable, but in Portugal, uh, in the Azores, the Azores, it was broadcast over the air. So okay. the local community could actually watch the channel as well. So um, after um, my tour of duty in Portugal, I was assigned to Tokyo, Japan, the Far East Network. Uh, in Tokyo, and um, and spent two years at the Far East Network, FEN is called, um, and from there I just fell in love with Japan, um, and uh, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm I'm a lot of a flood of memories are coming back now. Um, I didn't live on base like most uh, military members did. I, I rented a, a first a house off base and commuted. I, I bought a car and commuted uh, uh, to to work every day. And then I moved into Tokyo, actually, um, and would commute by car, which I still do here living in Kamakura. I drive all the way to Tokyo every day that I work. Um, I, I just um, I, I didn't want to be bound by all of the military rules and whatnot, and and it, I was allowed to. We were allowed to live off base, um, so you know I would wear my civilian clothes uh, to and fro. And when I got to the base, I, to my television station, I would change into my military uniform, and uh, and we would actually broadcast uh, the news in in uniform. Um, but I just fell in love with Japan and, and knew that I would, was going to stay for a long time. And obviously I did, 40, almost 42 <laughs> years ago. And uh, when I left the Air Force, and when my contract was finished, I actually extended my contract for one year to come to Japan. So I, I did five years instead of four. And um, 
suddenly my contract was ended. I, I didn't have a visa because military members don't have visas. We don't need passports. We have a military ID card uh, under the status of forces agreement between countries that uh, uh, American troops and, and airmen are stationed in. And so I had to get a passport and then I had to fly to South Korea, nearby South Korea to, to get a tourist visa. And then I had to find a job. <laughs> so I spent three months um, with, with no income. Uh, luckily, I was living in a house at the time and my landlady, she was really nice. Um, I was living in Tokyo and, and she, um, uh, she had faith in me and, uh, I was doing some, uh, voice acting work. I was, um, I did some overdubbing, uh, for a, a film. Uh, are you familiar with, um, the Tortasan uh, movie series? I am not. I, I saw itinerant Traveler, Torasan. Okay. Okay. Uh, about an itinerant traveler, very popular. And so I did voice acting. Um, I was the uh, the voice of a temple priest, an abbot. Um, and while at the Far East Network, um, people tuned in. And as I said before, this was before the days of CNN and cable news and Fox and all of that. So we were the only thing in town as far as news and entertainment, uh, American news, English language news and entertainment, music. I had a, a, a jazz program every Sunday called the Jazz Spectrum. Um, so for news and information, financial news and all of that, people tuned into the Far East Network. So uh, my reputation followed me um, and I was hired at the Tokyo Broadcasting System, TBS, Channel 6. Um, to be a news announcer. Um, the evening news, uh, and this is what I do at NHK today, we get the scripts in advance uh, in Japanese. We have a staff of translators and simultaneous interpreters. And so it's all translated and rewritten. And that was my job to rewrite the news. Uh, and then we go on the air live. Uh, it's called bilingual news. So when you're watching TV in, in a sub channel, you hear English. And in the regular channel, you, you hear the Japanese. So I was hired to do that at the Tokyo Broadcasting System. And I was, that was in 1984. I left the Air Force in December of 1983. And in April of 1984, I was hired at TBS. Um, and I was there for two years. And, and I was 24 or 25. And I decided I needed to do something more. I needed to challenge myself. So I moved to Hawaii and um, became a, a, a broadcaster there. I was a, a reporter uh, announcer for KHVH News Radio and, and then uh, KGU Talk Radio, KGU Talk Radio 76, the voice of Hawaii. And then I came back to uh, Japan with ABC News. ABC News hired me to be their Tokyo radio correspondent, actually, uh, the correspondent from Northeast Asia and Japan. So I covered Japan and all of Northeast Asia, including the Korean Peninsula, North and South Korea. And I was there, that was in 1987, September, uh, no, no, October of 1987. The stock market had just crashed on a Monday, Black Monday, and I arrived in Japan on Friday. And and immediately, as soon as they, I, they had a driver at the airport, at Narita Airport, who had a, holding up a sign with my name on it. <laughs> they had a car and everything, and then they, they drove me back to Tokyo. 
And the car even had a, a cell phone in it. Now, cell phones weren't around back then. <laughs> you know, nobody was carrying them around, but they did have them in cars and, and very wealthy people had them. And uh, so I asked the chauffeur, can I use the phone? He said, sure, that's what it's there for, for you to use. So, you know, I, I figured out how to use it and, and made a call to the bureau first. And uh, then later I called some friends saying, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, so arrived at the, the ABC News Bureau and New York called and they wanted a story on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. And I'm carrying bags up the elevator to the bureau. I, I had no, I didn't even have a place to stay. <laughs> I didn't have a hotel room or anything. And uh, when I walked into the bureau, um, they, they showed me my office, my desk, and they had name cards already prepared sitting on the desk. And, uh, and they showed me around, introduced me to everyone. And then I wrote a story on the, on the stock market and, uh, and filed the story and, and uh, did a, a voice recording of my, my, the script that I wrote. And, um, and for the first time in my life, I, I, I signed off saying, Robert Jefferson, ABC News, Tokyo, <laughs> which, was, which was my dream. Peter Jennings of ABC News, he was my hero. Someone I really looked up to, him and uh, Frank Reynolds and, and Max Robinson, who was the first black anchorman. So the, the three of them, they, they had a, a, tri, a tripartite uh, a newscast. Uh, Frank Reynolds was the main anchor in Washington, D.C., Max Robinson, he was out of Chicago, your hometown, and uh, Peter Jennings was based in London. And it was one of the most fascinating network newscasts ever. Uh, I don't think it's ever been matched. It was just, just fantastic. Peter Jennings would cover international affairs, Max would cover national affairs, and, and Frank Reynolds in Washington, the main anchor, he, he anchored the whole program. And... Yeah, so I was with ABC News for eight years, and simultaneously, uh, I got a call one day from the West German public broadcaster, Deutsche Welle, and they wanted me to, to, to be their correspondent in Tokyo as well. So I, I, I was both the ABC News correspondent and the Deutsche Welle uh, correspondent. And I also um, got a call. It was just fabulous. I'd get a call, you know, uh, there was no email back then. It was, it was, everything was done by phone and fax. And got a call from a Japanese uh, television company, Japan Cable Television, JCTV, and they, they hired me to do weekend news. Their main weekday anchor, he was uh, sort of my senpai, my elder in the business. He was also in the, the military. I believe he was in the Air Force and maybe the Army. Frank Rogers was his name. And uh, he liked what I had, what he had seen me do. So he suggested that they hire me to do the weekend news at Japan Cable Television. Uh, so yeah, I was their weekend television news anchor there. And it was a lot of fun. Japan was in its economic bubble years. And I, I had like seven different jobs, but I wasn't, I was making tons of money, but I wasn't even working full time. So I had, you know, a lot of free time. I hung out in all the jazz clubs <laughs> and, uh, and bars and whatnot. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And then the bubble burst, um, but things weren't so bad. I, I was a, uh, a, a voice actor, uh, narrator, and um, you may have heard of the Shenmue uh, video series. Yeah, I, I, did, oh, yes. the, I did the voice of uh, 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 Mr. Uh, Iwao, Iwao-san, who had a son. Um, and... Uh, yeah, some of, I, I actually, two of my Patreon patrons were fans of Genmu. And uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of voice work, TV commercials, and 
and and such. I even had a, a modeling career. So yeah, the ABC News, I left ABC in 1995, and uh, I left on a, a rather interesting note because in January, we had the Kobe earthquake, and I filed uh, quite a few stories, especially for ABC uh, local affiliates, especially on the West Coast. And then, when was it? Was it in March of 95? The sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway system. Um, I covered that quite a bit as well. And I was living in Tokyo at the time. And, and luckily, I, I was scheduled to do uh, some work on that day. And I would have been on one of those subways. But uh, for some reason, it was switched to another day. So I wasn't on the subway that day uh, that the sarin gas attack uh, happened. Uh, a religious cult, uh, Aum Shinrikyo, uh, carried out this uh, dastardly attack on the subway system, killing a number of people. Um, yeah, so then after that, I, I left. Um, I, I was still at, um, in, in television and broadcasting at TBS. And I also worked as a marketing manager at a, sort of a, it was a combination of a restaurant and a nightclub called the Soul Train Cafe. And uh, it got shut down because they didn't get permission from Don Cornelius, who was the yeah, the, the owner of the Soul Train TV show. <laughs> so, so that had to be shut down. Um, and then I was uh, hired at Bloomberg Television in, in Japan in 1997. And I was with them, it was in September of 1997, and I stayed with them until, uh, I think it was February of 2000. I left them and went back to so <laughs> I think I've, I've brought that full circle. <laughs> Love it all. I mean, like, just so much to go through. And I, and I am, uh, like Maurice, uh, a fan of Shinyu. That's one of the first things that we started talking and connected with before we actually got to talking about anything else. So that I'm impressed as well. That, that had to be, uh, doing all of that voice work, had to be... Uh, pretty interesting or unique in its way? Is it, is it similar in any way to what you were doing for broadcasting or how did all of the uh, voice acting go for you? Well, yeah, it's very similar. You go into a recording studio and, you know, you were dealing with microphones and scripts and things like that. The Shenmue um, work, I had to go out to their studios and it was off the beaten path somewhere. So I had to take a train and then uh, a taxi and something. And, um, and it was an all-day affair. Uh, actually, I think it was a couple that I had to go back. And um, it was very tough on my voice because I, I had to sound like an older man. And, I had a, and my, my character had a son. Um, and this was, uh, this was 30 some odd years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting a lot of it. But, uh, but yes, I, I had to sound like an old man. And, <laughs> and it really <laughs> destroyed my voice. I was coughing and my... I had a, uh, my, my throat was very raw for, for quite some time after that. But I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Lost in Translation with Bill Murray. Oh, oh yes, yeah, that it, is. It's very similar <laughs> to that. Yeah. And it, strangely enough, that movie was set in Tokyo. But yeah, I've, I've done TV commercials and it's not easy <laughs> to go in and, and say, yes, Rico, like, uh, you know, 50 times. You know, uh, you have to do take after take and, Asai, super dry. You know, I, I was the <laughs> second voice for that uh, commercial. A friend of mine, he was the first voice, and I, I was the second voice. Um, and it paid very well. 
um, you know, uh, very well. I, I, I won't say exactly how much. Um, the tax office knows, but uh, <laughs> it paid very well. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. How did you end up getting into uh, voice acting? I was heard uh, on the Far East Network, FEN, every day. So we were a hot commodity. Uh, broadcasters were hot. Not everyone took advantage of it. Uh, not everyone could, I guess. But uh, but those who had the voice that, that the Japanese liked, um, you know, yeah, we, we were gotten in touch with. One, um, there was one man, and I... I'm, I'm, uh, he, I, I doubt if he's, he could be still alive. He was a Filipino. His name was Leo Leonard. And he hired me um, to do a lot of voice work. And he had been in Japan for, for many years, you know, the post-war years and through the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he had um, made a, a very good name for himself as a, a, as a talent scout and uh, as a broker. Um, and he would pay in cash, <laughs> which was uh, even better. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, I came to Japan before there were ATMs. <laughs> I remember the first ATM and they had to have a guy standing there to teach everyone how to use the ATM. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Leo, he would pay in cash. Most others, it was done by bank transfer. Okay. It still is done by bank transfer much later. Um, but yeah, I would, my phone would ring and, and they would say, hi, I'm so-and-so of such and such. And we'd like, we like your voice and we'd like you to do uh, this, that, and the other. I was offered radio shows. I, I, I had a, uh, a one-year contract with FM Yokohama and the sponsor of my program was Alpine, the car audio maker. The name of the program was Alpine Seaside Shuttle. Um, and it was um, uh, an afternoon program featuring romantic music, sort of like soul music, romantic music. And then another radio station in Kobe, Kiss FM Kobe, uh, NTT, the, the telephone company sponsored my program. NTT, Urban Night Call, One in a Million. That was the name of the program. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, I did that for two years and never once went to Kobe. It was recorded in Tokyo. <laughs> I just <laughs> pretended that I was in Kobe. Uh, I still have some cassette tapes somewhere around here. I have to get them dubbed over into digital now. Everything's changed so much. But uh, yeah, I would just get a, a, a phone call. Yeah, and then well, it was about the late 90s when email uh, and the internet finally came online. And that uh, changed the things a lot. Yeah, but yeah, it was um, basically by word of mouth, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> and can you, uh, like thinking back to that time when you, you did, like you said earlier, that you decided that Japan was a place that you wanted to be um, and you, you're there. What was it about your surroundings? What was it about your experience that was that deciding factor for you? Like, I want to be here for a while. I think it, it, it went back to my childhood. Back in the 60s, I remember the, the cartoons, uh, the TV shows, Speed Racer. Yes. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't know, when I was watching it, I didn't know that it was in Japan. The Japanese title was Maha Agogo. Um, Maha is, 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 is a Japanese rendition of the term mak, like okay. speed. You know, yes. Mach, Mach 5 or whatever, you know, to break the sound barrier. 
and I, I don't remember what what Speed Racer's name was in in Japan, but a lot of the a lot of those programs were were Japanese animation, and 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 then you know as I grew older into my teen years, I I realized you know that you know where where it came from, and 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 I always had an an affinity when I was growing up uh, in my small town. There was a woman married to an American, and she was from Yokohama. Her name was Fusae. A Japanese woman, and um, and I found her quite interesting. Her children were biracial, and uh, they didn't they weren't bilingual. Uh, they didn't learn much Japanese. They had a few words here and there, um, but Japan, you know, uh, the sushi craze, uh, the the audio craze. Uh, everyone, you know, when I was growing up, uh, when I was a teenager in the nineteen seventies. Everyone, you know, all, all of us wanted uh, a nice stereo system, you know, Kenwood or Sansui or Yamaha or whatever. And, you know, we were willing to pay hundreds of dollars, <laughs> you know, for our sound system. Um, so, yeah, you know, earlier back in the 60s, I think Japan got a bad rap. You know, you look at the bottom of something and it was made in Japan and people would laugh at it. Um, but the Japanese really worked hard to reverse that. Um, and come up with some really good products. But what when I stepped off the airplane uh, between uh, after my my stint in Portugal, I went back to the United States on on vacation on leave actually, and I was just so excited to come here. I, I, I was a chartered flight. I think it was TWA, and we landed. We didn't land at Haneda or Narita. We landed at Yokota Air Base, and. And, and some of my colleagues from Portugal, people I worked with in Portugal, people I worked with in, in um, Turkey, uh, were waiting for me. They, they had arrived prior to, to my arrival. They were working here, and, and they brought a, a, uh, a mobile camera unit to record my arrival. <laughs> and I was like, get out of here, stop! <laughs> you know? uh, so I'm standing, and they, they pushed this, um, you know, those um, ladder trucks, uh, or stair trucks up to the side of the plane, and we would walk down the stairs, you know. And and I'm I'm looking at is that Mel and Marsha? Oh my God, look at that! that that's Jim. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they were recording me coming down the stairs. Yeah, and so it was a nice little reunion. But when I stood at the top of those stairs, I looked out. And I said, "Wow, this is Tokyo." It was the suburbs of Tokyo. But I said, "Wow, this is this is Japan." And I said to myself, "This is going to be interesting." And just one day after another, after another, I mean, nothing got boring. <laughs> you know, I registered to get a, a military license, and I still have it. It's in my safe here. I, I should have pulled it out. Actually, it was a, it was a piece of paper, a little bit about, about this size, and I still have it. And it was just a piece of paper. You know, it wasn't even laminated. And... Um, and and driving on the opposite, the wrong side of the road, sitting on the wrong side of the car, and and I was on base. I didn't dare go off base; it was too scary. So I I, I thought I'd practice you know, driving on the wrong side, sitting on the wrong side on base. And sure enough, I was driving down the wrong side of the road, and somebody tooted their horn at me and flashed their lights, and I swerved back over to the right side again. So I got used to that real quick, and and then I said, "The heck with it, screw it. I'm going off base," and I went off base and. And everything was okay. Although one time I did get lost and I was driving around for like three hours lost. All the signs, the road signs were in Japanese. And 
And I tried stopping, and I couldn't speak any Japanese, and I tried stopping asking someone, they couldn't understand me, I couldn't understand them. And then finally I found a, a police box called a Koban. Um, and they, they, they're these little community stations for, for, you know, it's a police box, it's a little uh, cabin-like thing. I don't want to say a hut, but um, yeah, where police um, uh, have a, a, a station, a small station in, in communities um, to for patrols and settling any disputes or whatever. So I found this police Koban and went in there and, and, and did a pantomime because he couldn't speak English, I couldn't speak Japanese. And he finally pointed me in, in back in the right direction. Uh, over the years, I think it was not too long after that, there was a real a strong push to internationalize. And so they put all of the road signs in, in Roman letters <laughs> because People, it was it was a huge scandal uh, that people couldn't read the the Chinese characters on the signs. So now, yeah, all of the nearly all of the road signs have Roman characters. But uh, yeah, it was just day after day, something brand new, something fascinating. Was so, everything was so high tech, so futuristic. Uh, it was it was just unbelievable, unbelievable. With all of that and what caught your attention and how everything was new, um, and then your experience, uh, you know, getting lost and not being able to, you know, read the signs or things that were going on, was that what made you decide to start learning Japanese, or was there something else that led to you finally getting uh, to where you are today? Well, yeah, uh, not being able to communicate was it was tough. The first two years was really tough. You know, I was able to meet people. Um, but if, if, if they couldn't speak English <laughs> and I obviously couldn't speak Japanese, it was, it was a bit tough. I, I would learn by listening. Uh, I met some wonderful friends and some of them are still friends to this day. And, uh, and I would go out to, to bars or to parties or other social events. And I would just listen intently. Um, just to see, you know, just to pick up words and pick up phrases. Um, when I was driving, I would, especially at a stoplight, I would look around at the road signs, the advertising signs and billboards and whatnot, and, and learn the characters, uh, you know, like Honda and uh, Toyota or whatever, um, just to, to learn the, the, the Chinese character or the Japanese characters, the hiragana and katakana, just by looking at, at road signs, and I, I still do that today, actually. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, just, just learning how, just listening to, uh, to, to hear how people speak in normal, everyday conversations. Because when you pick up a language book, um, you're not really, you know, if you pick up a Japanese language book, it, it'll get you on your way to learning Japanese. But a lot of the phrases in these books, it, it's not normal, everyday Japanese. But it's a good start. You have to learn how to count the counting system. Uh, you know, have, for example, counting, you know, like, I, like pens and papers, you know, ippon, nihon, sambon. Yonhon, you know, and the and the the pronunciation changes. Ippon, Nihon, Sambon, you know, uh, or Isatsu, counting pieces of paper. Isatsu, Nisatsu, Sansatsu. Um, to learn those things, you need to have a, um, a, a, a book learning is great, 
but to really learn Japanese and especially pronunciation, you you really have to have a good ear. Uh, a lot of people will say, for example, uh, they'll pronounce the Japanese capital with three syllables. It only has two, Tokyo, and it's a long. It, the to is long, Tokyo. The kyo is shorter than the o in to, uh, Tokyo. A lot of Americans will say Hiroshima when it's Hiroshima. Each of the syllables should be pronounced. Um, and then there are tricks here and there. Um, there's a, a place in Tokyo called Asakusa. When you look at it, it looks like it says Asakusa. But that middle syllable is almost silent. Asakusa. The ku is silent. And there's a, a, um, a city not too far from me, Yokosuka, but it's pronounced Yokosuka. So you have to learn these things. Um, and sometimes the, the book or the, the audio will teach you, sometimes they, they won't. Um, I did, um, trying to remember what year it was, I think, yeah, for visa purposes, I, I said before that I had to uh, fly to South Korea to, to, to establish a visa status. So I, I started out with a, a tourist visa. And then I came back to Japan. Then I had to fly back to Seoul again, Seoul, South Korea, again, to get a student visa. I had enrolled in a language school, the Sendagaya Japanese Language Institute in Tokyo. And I took a three-month intensive course. It was uh, five days a week, nine hours a day for three months. And that taught me a lot. Um, I didn't become fluent, but it really taught me the basics of, of the language. Uh, I don't even consider myself fluent now. <laughs> I, I get by, uh, actually, I, I, I guess I am to a certain extent, but um, I never married. Um, I live alone um, with little Haru-chan. I've, I've had dogs, but <laughs> it's not that I don't like human companionship. It's just... Um, um, I like things done my way. <laughs> so, um, I, I've had roommates and, and partners and whatnot, but um, yeah. Um, so I, I don't speak Japanese constantly. I do speak Japanese almost every day, but uh, I'm not, um, I don't have anyone to talk to. Um, and that's why I listen to podcasts a lot in English, because I don't have anyone to talk to. So I, I need that, that English stimulation in my in my ears, you know, for, or I'm watching something on YouTube. I don't watch television, but I do watch YouTube because uh, there's a whole world of stuff out there. Um, you know, I, I, I can watch uh, people doing things in countries that I haven't yet visited. And I've, I've been around the only places I haven't been are Africa and South America. So um, learning Japanese, it's it's it, it can be fun. It can be tedious. It can, it, sometimes it could be boring even, um, but it's what you make of it. Oh, one thing I did do back when I did watch television, I would watch a lot of it, um, especially the cartoons. Um, there was, um, and, and I don't mean the, 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 like the, not so much the cartoons for children, but uh, the, for, for families. Um, and what was it, every Saturday? Um, do you, have you ever seen uh, Sazai-san? I have not. Yeah, it's a it's about a family. I, I don't know if it's Tokyo or somewhere, but it's a typical. It could be anywhere in Japan because um, it's, uh, the cities, a lot of them look pretty much the same. 
but it's a typical Japanese family, <coughs> uh, multi-generational, uh, the husband and wife, uh, and the, the husband's parents, uh, and the children, they all live under the same roof. Um, the, the husband and his father are, are working and the, the wife, she stays home and takes care of the kids and all that. But you see, you know, how you can hear how, uh, uh, Japanese interact, um, uh, at home, uh, among the family, at work, outdoors, in the, in the neighborhood, in the community. And so, yeah, you can learn a lot by watching such programs. Um, and, uh, you know, listening to the news, when I, when I broadcast in English, I'm, I'm wearing a, a single earphone, sort of like a headphone, but only one like you're wearing, uh, but it's only one side. And I'm listening to uh, Japanese. Nowadays, I'm not wearing a headphone. I, it's an earpiece uh, that I listen to. But I have the Japanese in my ear. I have to keep pace with the Japanese announcer. This is live. So, yeah. Um, and I've learned that way. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of, of news lingo by, simply by, by the work that I do. Um, and, you know, the way people speak in a news broadcast is not quite the same as people speak in, in normal conversation, you know, if, if I were to speak, um, on my YouTube channel, the way I speak on the air, I wouldn't have any subscribers <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'd have, you know, I'd have a hundred thousand uh, to get my silver, you know, that's right. my silver button and all that. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just different, but yeah, it's, it's for me, you know, it, almost coming up on 42 years and I'm still learning. Yeah, I, I didn't, um, you know, reading and I, I can uh, thank God for, for the computers now and, you know, Google Translate. Um, back in the day, we didn't have all that. So, yeah, you, you had to learn the old fashioned way uh, and there was no translation app or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I had to learn the old fashioned way. But, yeah, I'm still learning now, but I can handle, uh, you know, I'm. I, I, you, you can go to my, my channel and see when I got my new car that I had to wait seven months for because of, uh, you know, supply chain issues and computer chip shortages. And, but yeah, I, I can, you know, handle, you know, the, the, the car dealership, um, uh, the tax office. Um, uh, yesterday I went and had some dental work done. Um, uh, and you know, things like that, I, I can do all in Japanese. I may not know all of the vocabulary, but I get the I, I, I get the gist of, of what's being said. And, and, and sometimes, you know, like I say, every day I learn something new, some new, a new word or new vocabulary. So yeah, it, it's, it can seem a little bit intimidating in the beginning, but um, yeah, it, it, you, you, you get out of it, what you put into it. Robert, we could, I think, talk for hours on end, uh, just about everything, uh, you know, from your life and just being there in general. But I do want to uh, get us moved on a bit to your YouTube channel and your mm -hmm. the Comicer uh, Gardener. And have you always loved gardening? Was there something that ended up getting into you into the hobby when you were in Japan? You know, what led to, you know, all of this for you? The gardening uh, that began when I was a child, um, back in that little little town, little village I lived in in Penland, Pennsylvania. My neighbor across the street, um, Mrs. Cotton, Mrs. Daisy Susan Cotton, um, she was a gardener, and she used to recruit me <laughs> and my uh, and my twin sister and some of the other kids our age uh, to help her garden, to weed and and uh, to plant her garden. 
and and she always had some you know some little sweets and you know candies and cookies and and some good food that she would uh, share with us so it was a lot of fun you know planting her she had a flower garden out front and had a vegetable patch in the back you know then helping her plant her tomatoes and her squash and picking her strawberries and it was just so much fun I'd be out there in the morning when the, the the grass was still covered with dew and she was just, you know, waking up. I was so eager to do it. Um, and then for many years, I, I didn't uh, do any gardening um, when I was here in Japan um, uh, before. Uh, when I came back to Japan um, second time after having lived in the States, you know, I, I watched a lot of... Um, uh, you know, home and garden television, and, and and that's where the gardening bug came back. But it didn't really bite me until I got back here. And I was living in Tokyo at the time, and I um, was was living in an apartment, and I started uh, gardening on my balcony in containers. And then when I moved here to this place in Kamakura, I, you know, when I moved here, I, I was thinking, my God, I'll just turn all of this patio space, this, uh, this, you know, I have an upper terrace and a lower terrace. I thought I can do my gardening here. And, and this, I moved here in 2007 and YouTube, I don't even think YouTube was, was a thing then. Um, my first YouTube upload, oh, when was that? 2016. And I wasn't very serious about it. The iPhone had just come out. And the cameras, um, they weren't as good as they are now. But um, it wasn't as easy to make YouTube videos um, when I first moved here. Um, so, yeah, if you go back and look at the first two, uh, it was just shot on an, you know, an old iPhone. Uh, and the quality isn't very good. Um, but it was around 2017 that I uploaded my first two. But it wasn't until 2020 that I started uh, uploading regularly, that I really got serious about it. Uh, I was 59 and I had um, decided to quit drinking. <laughs> I had quit smoking when I was uh, 39, uh, going on 40. And so I decided to quit drinking alcohol when I was 59, going on 60. And sort of as a catharsis, um, I really got into uh, uh, making YouTube videos, the gardening I had been doing. And it's odd, I seem to have more success <laughs> before I started doing YouTube. Um, I was growing carrots and onions, and I can't get them to grow now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've, got, um, I've got pictures, wonderful pictures. I wasn't, you know, vlogging then, but... Uh, but yeah, I've got wonderful pictures of, of wonderful harvest. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, well, this year, last year wasn't, I had some successes and a lot of failures. This year, I, I'm doing better. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to go out and I've been harvesting a lot of um, um, cucumbers and I'm going to go out and harvest some tomatoes, some cherry and plum tomatoes uh, that, that are ripening now. But um, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's very cathartic. It's very therapeutic um, to to start with a little tiny seed and see it sprout and grow and then become a fruit or a vegetable. Um, my winter cabbages did absolutely fantastically, and then I tried to grow some in the spring, and the bugs just you know had a feast. 
<laughs> yeah, I could see them coming with their tucking their napkins, you know, and uh, and sitting down having a feast on my hard work. So yeah, that was a big mistake. Uh, don't grow cabbages in Japan, or at least in my area, in the spring. Uh, wait until the autumn when the bugs are gone. But yeah, it's um yeah it was it was uh, anyway yeah Daisy Susan Cotton and she was a wonderful woman a wonderful woman, and her husband Jesse and and they were Christians and um and 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 I was a bit skeptical <laughs> and they said well Bobby Bobby they called me you just got to have faith <laughs> you know? and uh, I I have always been uh, curious you know I, I've studied Islam I've started I've studied Buddhism. Um, um, but I never settled on any, uh, or on, on any of them. Um, but I've just, I've taken the good from all of them, you know, tried to, you know, incorporate that into my life, um, and, and create, especially, you know, vlogs that are, are wholesome and, and informative. I, I try not to be preachy about what I do because I'm not a professional gardener. I, I, it, for me, it's, it's one huge experiment that just goes on, you know, day after day, week after week, month and years. And it's, it's a lot of fun and meeting people, not so much um, um, physically, although next month I have my first meet and greet um, on the 13th of July. Um, a, a woman, a Patreon patron, and her husband are coming, and I'm going to meet them. I got an email from another, a Japanese woman who lives in my prefecture, and she was asking if I, if I would be willing to meet up. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful, even just virtual friendships that I've formed. Yes. Um, with people on other channels, and then they've checked out my channel, and, and then they see me on another channel, commenting on another channel that we mutually watch. I wake up early. Uh, my, uh, in here in the spring and summer, my alarm goes off at 3.15 in the morning, 3.15 a.m. I go to bed, I'm in bed, I'm in my bedroom at about seven in the evening, sometimes as early as six. Um, and I'm winding down between seven and eight. Uh, I'm asleep at eight. And I like that, th those circadian rhythms of going to bed when the sun sets and then waking up just before the sun rises and seeing the sky slowly brighten, you know, with all of the light pollution here, though, the sun, the sky doesn't get totally dark. And, and that bothers me uh, that we've switched to LED lighting here in Japan. And, that, and that's just I, I don't see the, 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 the constellations. I don't see Orion and Ursula Major and, and all of the other constellations as, as well as I used to before we switched to LED lighting. But it's still nice to, to go to bed early and to wake up early. And, and it's just done wonders for my health. Um, plus stopping <laughs> drinking, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't um, drinking a whole lot, but um, once the pandemic hit and, you know, I was still at university then, but teaching online from home and, and buying, you know, alcohol online. And I looked at my trash one day and I said, oh God, there's too many bottles that I drink all of that. And April 30th, I had no more. April 30th, 2020, I, I, I had my last drink and it was no, nothing ceremonious. I, I just looked at myself in the mirror and, and thought deeply and said, what am I doing? And no more. Uh, I, I didn't need AA or, you know, any other group like that. It's something that I had to do from within 
And I'm, I'm glad I did. And um, I had always been going on nature hikes. I did that as a child as well. And with my dogs, I would go on hikes here in Kamakura. Uh, but now I do it, uh, weather permitting, uh, every morning, uh, weather and work permitting. Sometimes I, I work overnight into the mornings. Or, um, but even tomorrow morning, um, I have to be at work at, I start at 8, which means I have to leave home uh, just before 6 a.m., because the morning commute, it takes two hours to drive into Tokyo. I mean, what normally takes an hour and five, 10 minutes will take two hours uh, in the morning commute. But I will go for my morning walk five kilometers before I, I drive in. I, I think there is an awakening going on. Uh, you know, people are thinking, you know, there's a better way to live than, than simply, you know, being consumers. You know, um, there's, there's nothing... Uh, better than, you know, biting into a cucumber you've grown yourself or, 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 or squishing a, a, you know, a little cherry or plum tomato between your teeth that came off the vine, you know, um, out in your garden. I, I grow mint, spearmint, and, and every time that I, I, I fill up my, <laughs> my thermos with tea, I put a sprig of mint in it and, uh, it, it, you know, that I've put from my garden. It, it's just, a, it's, 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 it's very cleansing mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically cleansing. And uh, it, it's, it's nice. Yeah. I know that we could go on uh, for a lot, just uh, talking about the videos and things that are there, but I'm just going to ask that listeners or viewers, uh, you know, take some time and check out the channel. Like I said, I'm going to have a YouTube link there and I've just begun even myself where it's commenting and I can see your community that you already have in place. And it's, you know, it's really nice. It is super nice to see. And then especially I'm sure that Haru, um, your YouTube partner in crime, uh, has to be a fan favorite as well. Um, what, what can you tell me about her and her involvement in, uh, everything that's going on? Well, Haru came into my life on March 20, fourth um it was her two-month birthday <laughs> uh no 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 uh, march 24th yeah I, I think so anyway i had lost my um previous boston terriers uh the most recently was spunky yes uh he he died at 14 years and the day before he died he hang in there he went out for a walk with me um and um, a few years before that, his partner, Bebe, my first dog, she, she died. So, so, yes, I lost Spunky in, in July of 2022. And the next seven months were quite lonely. Um, to hear the little pitter-patter of feet, you know, on the floor. Um, and just, you know, coming home from work and being greeted at the, you know, and, and at the door by, by you know, uh, by Spunky or Bebe, it was it was lonely, yeah. So, uh, I I had gone to the pet shop um, at the home center, a uh, little local mall, um, and sort of suggested to the pet shop attendant, you know, uh, uh, any Boston Terriers, uh, any coming in the near future. She said, "Well, we don't really know what you know what kind of what breed we're going to be getting." Um, just have to come back and check from time to time, and um, and something one morning, uh, something said go and check, and I got in the car and went over there, and sure enough, 
Haru was there. <laughs> Although it was, she wasn't Haru. Yes. Um, I had to come up with a name very quick uh, when filling out the forms and the insurance and and uh, yeah, the pet insurance and 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 there was a a line a space that said name <laughs> and I looked at the attendant, you know the 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 the, the pet store clerk and I said hmm hmm oh it's spring how do <laughs> yeah. love it. Oh. So yeah, I didn't, and I wanted actually, I wanted to think about the name, you know, to look, you know, to to judge her personality, and because that's how I named Spunky, because he was just so full of spunk, nothing was afraid. He wasn't afraid of anything except thunder, the sound of thunder. But yeah, Haru just popped into my mind, and and it's a, a good choice, I think. Yeah, she's she's a breath of fresh air. She's she's just as fresh as spring, and. Uh, yeah, she's uh, downstairs uh, because otherwise she would be just attacking my legs. And my, you know, she would be all over me. So she's downstairs playing with a rope. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it, it's nice to have a, a, a pet uh, here in the house again. Yeah, she, they, they, especially Boston Terriers, they bring a lot of joy. They're very loving, um, um, very funny, uh, very smart, um, very loyal. Yeah, the the unconditional love from a dog. Um, yeah, I, I like small dogs um, because they can't hurt me. <laughs> I, I was bitten by a dog when I was young. It was a German Shepherd, and I would I would never have a dog with a big mouth. <laughs> never again. Yeah. So yeah, the tiny dog, and and they're easier to 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 take care of and feed and clean up after. And uh, yeah, so yeah, Boston Terriers. I I would have nothing else. And they're quiet. They don't bark. Um, as as I don't like the little yapping dogs. Yeah, Boston Terriers are, are they're they're mine. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, what could you tell me about your show's um, Patreon and then just the community uh, that you have uh, and all the support that you receive? I when I upload a vlog, I upload it there first. If there's any special that I do, I I I try to put it there first as well. It's uh, the patrons at Patreon are, are those who, who enjoy what creators do and just want to support them um, um, in, in any way they can, you know, monetarily. It, it, some are, uh, there are certain tiers and some is at $3 or $5, $9, uh, then there's a VIP. I think it's at twenty five dollars, and and it it helps in the what um, two years that I have been uh, in the two years that my patrons have been supporting me. My Sony camera, the money that I've received from them will have paid for the camera and and some other accessories, um, you know, accessories such as you know my 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 microphone, my my Rhodes microphone, and things like that. Yeah, it, it's just uh, gratitude for for the work uh, for the for the creations that I that I put out. Yeah, so twelve patrons and uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's I still have to go to work. Yes, yes, yes. Pay my bill, but it does help. All of us, we start out small, and it takes years. I'm not doing it for the money. Although that's in the back of my mind, <laughs> nice to, you know, when I, I'm 63 now, when I get to about 70, um, it'll be about 20, about 10 years. Um, so I'm hoping that um, that I could stop 
that I could retire from broadcasting and, and simply do blogging. Yes. And if not, um, you know, I don't want to retire, um, but, you know, maybe reduce it working to a few days a week and, you know, to have, you know, my YouTube blog as, as well. Um, yeah, I, I would I, to actually retire and do what? Yes. Garden? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. What you're going to be doing anyways, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, lo I love it, Robert. Um, before we get into um, just some goals and things like that, um, we're nearing our end. I don't, I wanna, I've already taken up a great deal of uh, your time, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it all. Um, I could totally see having you back on again, um, just even to talk more about your channel. Uh, but is there anything that you would want to bring up at this time that we haven't covered uh, to this point in our interview? Well, for people who are going to, who are thinking of coming to Japan or coming back to Japan, come. Um, it's, it's one of the few places where it's relatively safe and the people are, are really good people um generally speaking they're helpful they're kind and it, it's uh, you don't have to spend a whole lot of it japan can be done on the cheap yes and, and i think there are even some youtube channels out there to show you how you know 500 yen a day or a thousand yen a day and yeah you can um you can get by uh cheaply it's not that expensive you don't have to spend an arm and you know chop off an arm and a leg or donate a kidney you know to get some money to to come here and, and enjoy it. If, if you're planning on moving here, um, prepare yourself, um, learn what you need to learn, follow the rules, follow the customs, follow the law, especially. Yes. Um, but yeah, do everything right and, and everything will fall into place. Love it. What are your goals for the rest of uh, 2023? Uh, <laughs> gardening. Uh, yes. Yeah, I just uh, planted another round of cucumbers. I'm debating, uh, well, it's, it's, here we are in, in just the beginning of summer here. I might have time to, to grow some, some melons, some cantaloupes or something like that to, to plan my fall and winter garden. Otherwise, I don't travel much. I haven't been on an airplane since I came back to Japan in 2006. Um, you know, I've been everywhere. I've been to the Maldives. I've, I've been to Singapore, you know, two or three times. I've been to Taiwan. I've, I've been to Sri Lanka. I've, I've, I've been around. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I'm not too interested in traveling. Um, I've been around Japan. I've been to far to the most northern island of Hokkaido. I've been to the southernmost prefecture of Okinawa. Uh, some places I haven't been, some places in Japan I haven't been. So I may take Haru with me and we may get in the car and, and drive somewhere. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the most important thing for me is as I get older, I realize that I have to take care of my health. Yes. Um, that's why I walk every morning and um, I, I practice things such as intermittent fasting uh, where I um, I stop eating. Uh, I don't eat anything after 5 p.m. And I don't eat again until after 9 a.m. Uh, and and then I'll have only one large meal um, somewhere between 9 and 10. And then in the afternoon, I'll have a light some light snacks, uh, nuts and fruits and things like that. And, and, but I do have, you know, varied work schedules. So sometimes I do eat in the evening, like overnight. Um, I won't eat during the day. And then when I go into work, I work from 11 
till 11 at night till 8 o'clock in the morning. So between 11 and midnight, I'll have my dinner. And, and then again, um, somewhere around 5 in the morning, I'll have a salad. And then around 6 or 7, I'll have a fruit salad with yogurt or something like that. Um, and then I'm done for the rest of the day. So, yeah, keeping my weight under control. Um, uh, I've, I've brought down uh, my high blood pressure. Uh, my liver is fine. My kidneys are fine. I, I don't have any, uh, any health issues whatsoever. Um, so that, that was a, a goal of three years ago. Then I've attained that goal of, of you know, uh, getting, you know, my um, hepatic functions and, and, uh, and uh, you know, and my cardiac issues resolved so yeah so for the rest of the year and, and we don't have we only have six more months god the year's um, um halfway through now um just to enjoy the seasons um yeah no no major goals yeah to to continue uh putting out uh, you know content that that people like you know to watch that that um puts a smile on people's faces and Robert, I can't thank you enough. Some of your videos and things with cooking have me ready to make a late dinner uh, myself. Um, I love watching um, you cook, you interact, you you know garden and everything that's going on in your life. And I look forward to continue seeing uh, different things you have coming out uh, with that. So just thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, please give a follow, a like, and a comment on your favorite streaming service. And for updates on the show, feel free to give a follow on Instagram at Lost Without Japan. And remember, you may find Robert on his YouTube channel, The Kamakura Gardener. Again, links and everything will be in our show notes for all the different um, platforms that he talked about. Truly appreciate uh, those uh, of you that support the show uh, through Patreon. And I want to say, give a quick shout out to our newest member, Blake. Thank you so much for, you know, giving some something, uh, you know, some support and just saying thanks and reaching out. It's going to help add uh, even more audio equipment uh, for Japan. And my goal is to have as many different sounds from Japan um, and some other interviews that I do while I'm there uh, be shared with you. So thank you again, Robert, for joining us today. Um, I truly do appreciate it. On behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this interview. And we look forward to seeing you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on Japan, travel, culture, and your Lost Without moments. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends. <laughs>